I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. I'm the Grim Reaper and the host of this show, Welcome to season three of RIP Diets. We're tearing through the season on episode five. The Discord group is popping off. Thank you to everybody who's been filtering in. The conversations are really getting started. If you want to be a part of the Discord group, go to my Instagram. I'm Lubination on Instagram and the link is in my bio. It's a free app. You can create an account for free, join the conversation, and get this party rolling. And also, if you want even more content, including bonus podcast episodes, videos, vlogs, go to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash RIP diets. I'm actually filming a brand new What I Eat in a Day vlog today, and that's going to go up next week. And I'm getting back on my grind. So come join me on Patreon for an even more intimate look at my recovery and my life as a 30-something body neutral biatch living in New York City. I was actually so nervous for this week's conversation. I'm going to just get right into it this time because it is a long one. And I feel like you can hear it in my voice how nervous I was. I decided to have my big brother on the podcast to talk about his experience growing up in the same house as me, some similarities we had, and some differences. My brother struggled a lot with body image and his relationship with food, just as I did, but there were a lot of differences between us because of our genders and also because of certain limitations he had with food. He is a picky eater and always has been, and we talk about how much my parents struggled to get him to eat a, quote, healthy diet because of these major food sensitivities that he had and still has. We also get into a little side conversation about setting boundaries with parents, which I have spoken at length about, and I feel it's very important, especially for people who struggle with disordered eating. I didn't say this to my brother in this interview, but I do feel like he has exhibited disordered eating behaviors throughout his life, and he's still very trapped in the weight loss mindset and has a long way to go in that regard. I'd love to hear from picky eaters or people with hypersensitivity to food about what helped you improve your relationship with food so I can relay that information to him. My brother and I always had a fairly close relationship. He was always really protective over me and in classic middle child fashion, he kind of acted as a shield for me in a lot of ways, which we touched on. But my brother also spent a lot of time alone as a child. And even though I felt like my childhood was a little isolating, I realized that it was even more so for him. And he was battling a lot of this stuff internally, and I didn't know the extent of it at the time. I think this is 
again, a side effect of being a boy who struggles with his body versus being a girl. Being a girl who struggles with her body, that's treated more like a national emergency, at least in my experience. And with my brother, it was more swept under the rug in a lot of ways and not talked about as much. It was really cathartic for me to have this conversation with him and nice to understand more what was going on with him at the time. So I will just give a warning. You know, we we do talk a lot about his habits with food. We talk about dieting in this. My brother's still very much in that mindset. Um, So if you're having a particularly tough time, you might want to save it for later. But if you feel like you're in a good place, I think it could be really illuminating to hear from not just a man who struggles with body image, but a man who is also a picky eater and has these sensitivities that I myself was very judgmental of when I was growing up. And I even apologized to him for that. And it's taken me a little bit of time to really understand the way that he struggles with food and how it's so different from the way that I struggled with food. So without further ado, let's dive into today's conversation with my brother, Matt. Milk and cereal. Milk and cereal. Milk and cereal. Cereal and milk. Milk and cereal. Cereal, cereal. Milk and cereal. Cereal and milk. 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 Give them to the needy. Feeling kind of greedy. I keep them for myself. 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 You guys, my guest today has known me since I was zero years old, and I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. For longtime listeners, you've heard I've recorded a couple episodes with my sister, and now I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with my older brother, Matthew. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emma. Great to be here. Do you have any memory? You're like three and a half years older than me something like that yeah and you so you've known me since I was zero years old but do you remember me ever not being there or was it just like I was always there that's a good that's a great question I I do have one very distinctive memory of of before you were born I remember uh, me and Melissa and mom and dad creating this banner that we hung up to put up uh, when you came home from the hospital <laughs> Excuse me. I do have a very clear memory of creating that banner and hanging it up. And I also remember the day you came home. So I think actually those those memories of getting ready for you to enter our lives are, are actually, they might be my oldest memories, actually. Oh, my God. I've always been there. That's yeah. what I wanted to hear pretty much. Because Yeah, I figured. Like thinking about a world existing before I was born gives me a, a little bit of agita. Like it, it makes me feel, it's kind of like thinking about what it's going to be like after I'm dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just a dark place that I don't really want to go to. I never really thought of it like that. I've always, I've always been really into history uh, that, you know, and I, I always thought, I think internally, I always thought of the situation as like everything in the past has just been the world setting itself up for me to enter it. Um, 
which is really <laughs> so <sort> narcissistic. <laughs> okay, so maybe not actually. That's, let me take that back. Then. No, um, but but uh, the world after I leave it, I, I don't really think about it in that term. So it is a much more disturbing idea than the than the old world was. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. I'm happy I'm going to leave this world because Whoa. no, I truly am because mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with the dumpster fire that we're creating oh. on this planet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like. Yeah, I mean, this might sound a little narcissistic, but sure, like my great grandkids might have to deal with it, but I won't. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm I know get, exactly what you mean. I I'm think gonna about get that. shit for that. You get, guys, no. stay stay out of my DMs. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear how you would describe your experience growing up and your feelings about body image and kind of the attitude in the house about it. Because I I definitely have my point of view, but I'd love to hear your point of view um yeah okay so I definitely you know struggled with uh, uh body image and, and weight for all of my life really and you know definitely being uh overweight uh for much of it or you know traditionally considered overweight what I would consider overweight um yeah. uh also like medically like uh, you had doctors tell you you were overweight. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, Which I personally, like, I'll, I'm, I'm gonna let you finish, but um, <laughs> personally, like, I don't really think that kids should be involved in that conversation. Um, and that's probably partially due to my experience and how incredibly traumatizing it was. But I don't think that's something that a child should necessarily be aware of because it's so stressful to like, as a child, your body's changing constantly. And even having doctors telling you, okay, you're too, you're heavier than you should be. That's just more of a burden than I think a, a child is capable of handling. Yeah. It, it's interesting to hear you say that. And I, you know, I obviously, I knew you had those experiences unfortunately, but I, I can honestly say I never really had those experiences with doctors as a kid. You know, I would go from my checkup and, uh, you know, I definitely at some point they might say, you know, you, you should, you should probably, you know, try to exercise a little more, but it was never, even though I was, I was pretty, you know, fairly overweight and probably maybe they were thinking it, but uh, it was never made into a big thing. Um, at least maybe because you're around. a boy. Yeah, that that's what I'm thinking. Maybe because I was a boy. Uh, definitely a little later in life, they they got a little more pointed about it more as an adult. But as a kid, they they never made a big big deal out of it to me. And what do you remember it being like inside the house? Because you were a really picky eater. I remember that. You're still a really picky. I'm eater. still I, a really picky yeah. eater. I have yeah. I'm. Very sensitive child, very sensitive adult still. Um, He's a sensitive boy. Like I am. Um, yeah, uh, in the house. You know, it, it was interesting is that, uh, you know, I'm sure your, your listeners all know, you know, our parents were divorced. Uh, we lived with our mom growing up uh, most of the time. I think since I was four, um, that was the case. So I really don't have memories of when my dad lived in the house. Um, but my mom... Except for that year that he randomly lived in our house. Except, yeah, except for that. <laughs> um, uh, that happened much later. Uh, I never, I, my mom, I don't really remember her ever talking to me very much about food or about weight or about these issues very much. My my dad, on the other hand, uh, definitely had a, a stronger point of view and definitely tried to be more uh, controlling about what we were, what I was eating uh, in his presence. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, 100%. Um, That's so interesting because it was the opposite for me. 
Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I know that because I, I live there, but, uh, you know, I never really thought about it, those terms until now. How was it? How was it for you? Oh, this is about you. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I guess that. <laughs> I guess I'm the guest. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, mom gave me what I asked for and and what I, what she knew I wanted and never really, you know, made made much of a point of it. I guess maybe there were I don't even have any real solid memories of that being not the case, although, uh, you know, I'm sure, it, you know, it probably, you know, came up or it was some element sometime. Mom sort of was a bit eclectic in uh, her uh, approaches to parenting. They would change pretty often. But yeah, uh, for sure. But dad, it was no pretty, pretty consistent. It was, it was always whenever we were eating around him, it was always a thing I was aware of was his uh, disapproval of uh, oh. what I was eating or, or how I was eating it. And what uh, would he say to you? Like, do you remember specifically what he would say to you? I mean, he just wouldn't, he would be very uh, limited in, in what I was allowed to eat with within, you know, like, like you said, I was very picky. So there weren't that many options that I was willing to explore. And, but within those uh, guidelines, he was very, tried to be very uh, strict about what I was allowed to consume. And yeah, the, the, you know, there were, there were comments. There still are to this day comments about my, my eating and, and what I like and what I don't like. And, and yeah, it, it, it can, it can, it gets to me. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, understandable. I, yeah. I actually kind of remember people constantly trying to get you to eat things that you didn't like. Mm -hmm. And I will say you would always take a bite but <laughs> you would immediately either spit it out or run to the bathroom and pretend to vomit. I don't know what you were doing. Oh no, like, sometimes I would actually throw up. Not super often though. But I remember we went to this Japanese restaurant one time. I don't know if you remember this, mm -hmm. but somebody ordered specifically for you. Mm -hmm. Somebody. So, okay. Well, first of all, let's break it down. So what Matt likes to eat is he likes beef. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's knock it out by category. So if we're talking proteins, you like beef, uh -huh. you like pork. Do you, eh, eh? I don't Not like really. Pork. I like I really bacon. Like I like ham. I don't like pork. So oh, see, bacon, some and, ham. Parts bacon and ham are the two that I don't like. Really? That's yeah. weird. That I don't understand. Uh, you know what? It's not <laughs> even that I don't like them. It's just like, you know, I think I got a little jaded because this isn't so much a thing anymore. But I think like in the mid 2000s, do you remember how people were just suddenly obsessed with bacon? Like, it's kind of like, you know how people are obsessed I mean, with- my whole life I've been obsessed with bacon, so- No, 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 <laughs> don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. It, okay, it's kind of like how people act like they're obsessed with sloths. And it's kind of like, okay, uh, yeah, sloths are cool, but like, don't make this your entire personality. Right, sloths didn't come into existence when Kristen Bell burst into tears on Ellen. Exactly. <laughs> Guys, watch that clip if you haven't. But um, but yeah, like people, I, I remember this girl in my high school, her last name was Bacon, but mm. she used to like go to uh, field hockey practice with a big bucket of bacon. Like it was her whole personality <laughs> was like, my name's Bacon and I love bacon. And I think for me, I was just like, yeah, bacon's fine. But like, I don't know why I, I'm, I'm not dying over it, you know? Mm -hmm. But anyway, I don't know how I got on that. Oh, so I think maybe, maybe it'd be a little helpful to, to say this for your viewers. So, I, so I'm, I was, I'm learning disabled. And uh, what goes along with that uh, sometimes is, is something 
that you know has been called by a lot of things, but it, it's a sensory integration disorder is is the terminology that sticks out in my mind. It's ah, basically SIDS. <laughs> yes, SIDS. <laughs> uh, people who you know they're they're they have trouble sort of uh, approaching sensory information the same way other people do. So I'm very sensitive to like to to fabrics and to touches and to certain sounds and to taste. So when it comes to eating, uh, generally the, the more bland or straightforward or, or simplified a taste is, the more I like it. So I like, you know, I like a steak. I like, uh, you know, French fries. I like, you know, straightforward foods. But when you start adding more complex flavors to them, when you start adding more diversity of flavors in one bite, it starts to be a little, uh, it, it is a little overwhelming for me and, and I don't like it. So the simpler, yeah. the more straightforward the food is, the more chance it is I, I will enjoy it. And definitely not like certain seasonings or spicy nope. food you don't nope. like. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely not. Although, you know, there's some like I love garlic for some reason. I, I can eat garlic raw. I'm obsessed with garlic. I am. But but, you know, an onion, garlic and bacon on his pizza. But I will run away if you put an onion in front of my face. Uh, <laughs> I do. Garlic and That's... bacon pizza is my go to pizza. Oh, it's disgusting. It just it makes pizza <laughs> not taste like pizza, which is, you know, not my bag but I disagree it's, but it's okay. fine. you know agree to disagree i'm obviously right because well, i don't have the disorder that's 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 fair point yeah right okay. you're but, the control yeah okay so what i was saying before was i remember being at this japanese restaurant and i guess somebody figured oh he likes beef and like he doesn't like too many complex things and he he doesn't like sushi because you never ate sushi right no mm -mm. i didn't think so so Basically, somebody ordered you these um, beef wrapped scallion things. Like it was basically Ugh. like a bunch of scallions I wrapped up now. in a piece of beef. You remember this? And yeah. you wouldn't eat it. You refused to eat it. And then so to kind of deflect from you, I was like, I'll eat it. I like I was trying to be the martyr in the situation. Aww, I was like, sweet. I'll eat it. Like he doesn't have to eat it. I put one of those in my mouth and. Um, and I hate scallions and I mm -hmm. still ate this and I immediately ran to the restroom and threw up. Ugh, God, <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for jumping on that grenade for me. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> it's such yeah. a visceral thing that I remember. Like, no, I know. actually and made me puke. Yeah. So, you know, what happened to me once in, uh, in college is, uh, I came home, this was freshman year. I think I came home, uh, to my dorm room, uh, and I walked in the door and for some reason, Doritos and the smell of Doritos, uh, is one of the most disgusting things I can, I can think of. I can be around, I can imagine. And, and they really get to me. And I remember walking into my dorm room and one of my, my uh, roommates was eating a bag of Doritos and the smell just hit me dead on when I walked into the room and I took a left and went to the bathroom and threw up immediately. Oh my like God. that, that's, that's how much the smell of Doritos was triggering to me that just immediately in my body was like, something is wrong. I need to equalize myself out like that. That's sort of a sampling of how, how uh, intense this uh, aversion can be. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Okay. I guess my question is like, as you became aware of, of the ways that people categorize foods, like, oh, th these are healthy foods. These are not healthy foods. Cause we grew up in the nineties and like people had a very, um, black and white view mm -hmm. of what was healthy and what was not healthy. 
was there like a moment or a crossroads that you thought like, oh, well, maybe I should force myself to eat these foods because they're healthier and my diet is not healthy. Cause I remember people constantly telling you your diet was not healthy. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, no, cause I, to this day, I cannot force myself to eat something that I don't like. I, I either, you know, I'm, uh, it's pretty much the extremes. I either really enjoy a food and I can eat it and really never get tired of it or I just can't consume it. There's nothing that I eat that I have to, that I force myself to eat. Cause I can't really force myself to eat. Right. I, I'll gag or I will throw up if I really try to push myself hard. And right. yeah, I, I tried that a little bit when I was younger, but it, it, it just didn't work. Um, so when, you know, when I would be thinking about healthy eating, it, it was really more of like a, well, how can I jury rig together, you know, a healthier solution to this? So, you know, I'll take what few things I like that are pretty healthy um, and I'll, I'll eat those and then I'll just not eat the rest. And yeah, I'll, I'll lose and that. I'll end up losing weight that way. Cause it ends up meaning I eat very little. Yeah. Um, it ends up being, and that's basically the solution I found, you know, the, the first time in my life that I really, really myself made a concerted effort to lose weight, um, was I think the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. And I, and I lost, I ended up losing a lot of weight very quickly over that summer because I basically just stopped eating. Um, and that was my solution to healthy living. I take, I took vitamins and I had, you know, one meal a day, uh, and that did the trick for me. So that, really that was my one meal a day. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a pretty intense three months. And I was, and I was jogging. Well, I couldn't really jog, but I was speed walking and then working up to jogging over that three months, um, uh, five miles every day. And I did that on one meal a day and I did that for three months and, and it, and it did the trick. Why yeah. one meal a day? Like, where did you get the idea to only eat one meal a day? Uh, well, I think this was before intermittent fasting was a thing, but, uh, I sort of came to that conclusion myself. One thing I, I'm good at is I'm good at being really stubborn. So uh -huh. if I He's tell myself, Taurus. yeah, that's right. Taurus is yo. If I uh, tell myself, okay, uh, you know, between these hours are going to be the time I'm going to be eating, or I can only have one meal a day and I'm making that decision and that's what I'm going to do, uh, then I will do it. And, and I will use my stubbornness to sort of power through uh, anything. So I figured that was sort of an easy solution to reducing my calorie intake was just, well, if I can't eat because I say I can't eat during these times, um, you know, that it is what it is. And he, even that one meal that I did end up consuming, it was sort of just a, a concession to practicality. That was sort of my rational brain going like, you have to eat something. You can't eat nothing because that's what people who are, have, you know, a condition uh, do. Uh, so you can't be like that. So you got to force yourself to consume something. So that was sort of the, uh, the concession I made to rationality. But then I imagine you weren't able to keep that up for very long. I kept it up for three months. Uh, so it was the summer between my uh, junior and senior year of, of high school, basically. Um, but then what about after that? I didn't keep it up after that, um, but I definitely went through cycles of just naturally much more restricted trying to keep the weight off that I had had kept off. Because my, you know, my thinking at that point was, you know, I'm going to college. I want to, I want to go there, you know, presenting my best self. So I, I don't want to lose the gains that I just made. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, or gain the losses that you just lost. 
yes, I don't want to do that either. That's a bit of a, a tongue twister. Um, yeah, so uh, so that's what I did. And then, of course, I went to college and uh, every, all the rules went out the window and I put on most of the weight again over the course As you of that do. freshman year. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then back it up for a second because you touched on exercise earlier. You said that doctors would tell you like, oh, you might want to try exercising more often. When I was young, I did not, I, I've never been a very athletic person and I wasn't mm -hmm. like, I wasn't interested in team sports and I didn't really do any of that. I played volleyball in high school, but other mm -hmm. than that, I never played any sports because I just wasn't interested in it. And I was really happy that I wasn't forced to play sports because I wasn't interested in them. But I remember you being forced to play football. Mm. Yeah. When I, I don't remember how old you must have been. I guess maybe you were like 10. So mom and dad did make me play sports growing up and I, I never had any interest. I was in, you know, the, the peewee, uh, you know, basketball and softball uh, for many years oh, you growing basketball? up. I did, you know, in peewee league. So sort yeah. of. Um, but yeah, I was on our town's adolescent football league when I was 10. Yeah. And then on our, our middle school football team uh, when I was uh, 11 to 12 as well. Uh, yeah. And I, I did not enjoy those either. I was, uh, I ended up being center on those teams because, you know, I had no athletic ability, but I was a big guy. And the coach told me I was smart enough to remember to snap the ball before I hit the person in front of me. And that was my skill. Wow. So, so that's why I ended up being that position on, on my junior team. But yeah, you know, eventually, uh, the, but the, the center the, is the position that just gets pummeled over and over again. I mean, anyone on the line, I mean, what do I know yeah. about football, but anyone on the well, line, you get played pummeled. it. you're a veteran. Oh God. Yes. And I still have PTSD from those experiences. <laughs> um, flashback. But did um, you tell mom and dad that you hated football? Oh, of course they knew I despised it. it, it they didn't, they didn't care. Um, or they, uh, they didn't seem to indicate that they cared. Maybe they cared, uh, but they, they wanted to force me to do any, but anyway, but then they, then they eventually stopped forcing me and I stopped doing sports. Actually, Talking about sports, I think I think maybe playing. I can actually pinpoint a moment when I when when was the first time I really thought that like maybe I need to get in better shape. Was um we we had we belonged to a, a sports club for a while, uh, in our town growing up. This is when I was sixteen or something, and uh, our dad liked to play um, racquetball, and they had a racquetball court. So me when he came to visit once or a couple of times, we went to play. Uh, he wanted to play racquetball on the court, so we went to play. And for some reason, I really loved playing racquetball. And I remember this one time, uh, us coming out of a game, me and my dad, where I, I had, you know, ran, run myself ragged around the court and worked up such a sweat and uh, I guess released enough dopamine that I just started laughing for a solid 10 minutes after really? we stopped playing a game of racquetball. Like I was sitting in the backseat of the car, like laying on the seats, like rolling around laughing and not able to stop. Cause I, wow. I, and I, cause of this dopamine release in my brain, I, I figured. And after that moment, I was like, okay, maybe my body really needs a little more of this. Um, yeah. because I don't think that's normal. Uh, so that, that was sort of one of the, the moments that made me think, okay, maybe I need to pay more attention to this and maybe I need to work on it more. 
But that's interesting. Have you played racquetball since then? I played it in college throughout my four years because our college had racquetball courts. Um, and I actually have not played it since I left college. And I really wish uh, I, I really should. I, I often think about going back to it, but uh, I never have. Um, it's funny, me and my girlfriend in, in college and now wife um, used to go play racquetball together on the courts. Um, but she never wanted to play a game. She always just wanted to hit the ball around. And that wasn't mm-hmm. as fun for me. So I think that's one of the reasons why I stopped going is that we just wanted very different things out of the experience. You're fueled by competition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like to, uh, you know, I don't want to rub it in anyone's faces or, or anything. I don't mind losing all that much, but I like, I like there being rules and a structure to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. It's it's interesting that racquetball would be the thing. Did you ever play tennis or anything like that? Yeah, I don't really enjoy tennis. I've play, I mean, I played I it, you know, camp growing tennis. up. Yeah, I just I don't really like it. Racquetball I though. Hate anything where you feel like you're just running around for no reason. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I hate any sport that I'm just running around trying to get something and then. And then I just have to run back to the other side of the court. And I repeat that process over and over and over. I just feel like I'm running in circles for no reason. I feel like an idiot. Yeah. And that's just me. My tennis queens out there can, (laughs) you know, if you enjoy tennis, by all means, go off queen. But I personally, I hate it. And I hate just like running around. I just hate it. But No, I get that entirely. And I think, I think what it might be for racquetball for me is, you know, I, so I've, you know, learned disabled and I have ADHD too. Um, so I'm always distracted constantly in my life. I, I, I can never focus on one thing. Um, Me too. That's ra- why this, this conversation is so wacky. It's so all over the place. Um, <laughs> but uh, in racquetball, you don't have time for your mind to drift. The ball is yeah. constantly coming back at you. So I think maybe the one reason I enjoyed it is there was, there's never time for my brain to lose track of what's going on or, or to be somewhere else. That you can't think sense. you can't think about anything else. You can just you can only think about where the ball is and where it's going to be. That makes sense. Did you ever think about what was going on with me or with Melissa like when it came to body image and stuff like that or did you not really think about it? That's a really good question. I can't Like say- I'm just curious if you noticed anything cuz we were saying before like maybe you were treated differently in this respect because you're a boy and the only boy, but like, did you pick up on that stuff or were you just kind of like trapped in your own mind? I can't say I had any, any conscious uh, thoughts about uh, Melissa and these issues. Um, uh, You know, if if there were issues with Melissa in that regard, I I haven't listened to your episode with her, but uh, I know I'm, I'm such a bad brother. Um, but uh, if there were there, uh, which I mean, I, I guess I never thought about it before, but I imagine there must be. Them Do you know what most- it is? Do you know what it is? This is how she phrased it. She said the situation was different, but the messaging was the same. Yeah, I can see that. Sense? That 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 makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. So the I, messaging being like fat is bad, skinny is good. You mm-hmm. should always be trying to be to get smaller. Yeah, no, no, that definitely makes sense to me. And, and I, but I can't say that I, I was aware of that being sent to Melissa or, or it impacting her, although it I mean, must I have been. I definitely wasn't aware sense. of it. 
Well, there you go. So I don't feel that, that bad. Yeah, a brother no, now. I wasn't aware of it until she told me. Wow. That that's all right. I have to listen to that. That's interesting. Um, and that that's good to know, but in, in your case, uh, you know, cause your, your struggles were slightly different with the, with the issue. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was aware of it. And I, and I, I mean, what could I, what could I do? But I definitely do remember like trying to do what I can to shield you from that whenever possible or whenever it was happening in front of me or trying to take attention off that or, or whatever. But yes, I, I'm definitely aware that those messages were being sent to you and that they were affecting you and that it was rough and bad and bad. Well, I mean, another thing is like, I was sent to fat camp and you yeah. were not, mm -hmm. which is like, in my mind, it's really hard to say, like, in retrospect, what I thought about it. But in my mind, I was like, okay, I have this problem and nobody else struggles. Like, I didn't really ever think, I like, I didn't think too much about what you were going through because I felt like the attitude in the house was like, well, he's a growing boy, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. And, like, he'll... He'll grow out of it. He'll grow out of it. But yeah. like you at age nine, 10 years old, like you need to be really hyper aware of this because you're going to like become a woman. So we're going to send you to fat camp and like try to fix it. That that's what I felt the attitude was. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think that makes sense, you know, aligning with my own memories of it, which is more like my, my weight for me was mostly, uh, you know, other than, like I said, you know, interaction with my dad was an internal struggle and yours was an external struggle. This mm -hmm. was, you know, something that I'm, I felt bad about and definitely thought about uh, for my own sake, but that was pretty much it. No one else, it was, no one else talked about it really. Right. Were you ever angry about being forced to, to do things that you didn't want to do? Being the stubborn person that you say you are? I was definitely angry about doing sports. I didn't enjoy them. I didn't like them. They weren't good experiences. Uh, I was definitely aggravated about the way my dad would talk about food and the way, you know, he would make me feel about eating issues or whatever. And, and, and I was mad at myself, you know, and I, you know, and I've largely gotten over that, but it's still there in, in my mind very often is like, why can't I be normal? Why can't I eat this salad? Like, what? Why? Why? Why does this have to be so difficult? Why mm -hmm. can't I just be like everyone else in this regard? And that still sticks with me. You know, eventually, you know, getting older, coming to peace with who you are, like it gets better. You know, and, and you get to you make peace with your differences. But yeah, it was definitely. You know, I, I was pretty depressed about it for a lot of the time growing up. And, and it was sort of that of why can't I be like everyone else mm -hmm. um, that was that weighed on me. But like I said, like that was an internal struggle. Like I tried very hard to not, you know, inflict those concerns I had on other people. I thought th these were my struggles. They're for me to handle. And I don't want to I don't want to put that in, in anyone else. I need to hold that in and, and keep keep to myself about it. That must have made you sick, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was pretty depressed and pretty lonely a lot of the time growing up. I, um, I wonder if I teased you relentlessly for your sensitivity. <laughs> I think I probably didn't understand it. I mean, okay, I'm not going to say probably. I think I definitely didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. I thought you were just being a drama queen. Yep. So I wonder if 
I'm sorry if I teased you for it. Oh no, you 100% did tease me. Um, <laughs> you did, but I, I never. Also, okay, for the for the <laughs> listeners, I know like I'm a very empathetic, kind person, but I did used to be really, really sassy. I still think you're sassy. Okay, I'm but... still sassy, but like I'm I'm a kind person. Like my sass is a weapon that I choose not to use on most people. Well, yes, I you know I can say this since I've known you since when you were zero. You've always been a very kind person, Emily. Hey. I I, th- I think, you know, in our house, I think a, a lot of the way, especially you and I, sort of approach the world was dictated a lot by uh, honestly our, our dad's approach and to his sense of humor, which is was very cutting and very sassy, as you put it, and very much based on poking fun at others. Oh, I see and, what you're saying. And I think that that carried on to me and to you. Um, and we were mimicking that a lot growing up. And I think when you're when you're younger and sort of less, you know, naturally less empathetic, naturally less have the ability to, you know, put yourself on the people's shoes, that ends up being more cutting than we know. Uh-huh. And I think I think that's what you're what what you were what you're talking about and what we both experienced to some can extent. You, can you be a little more specific? Um, I know what you're talking about, but I just you know. So I remember being little, and like I said, I really I was I'm really into history. I'm really into the world, and I even was when I was a kid. But I was learning disabled, so you know sometimes those two things ran into each other. Like yeah, I was having a discussion at the dinner table once when I was eight or seven or nine somewhere in that range um and, uh, and we were talking about something and i was talking about the world and, and you know trying to sound smart and knowledgeable as a, as a kid does and i i called thailand i, I called it thailand uh because it starts with a th see and you laugh and my dad just pounced on that and so did and started laughing at it and poking fun at me about calling the country thailand and then so did you and then and everyone and you and him especially and then mom and melissa giggled and laughed at it but that sticks with me to this day and it makes me a little self-conscious um about it, it, issues like that um about because you felt bad because you were just trying to read the word as best i could and it starts right. with a th that makes a th sound it, it makes total <laughs> sense it makes total sense what's funny is that it, the dad visited me a couple like a couple months ago and he referenced that and laughed at me about it. Oh <laughs> shit. And like still in the back of my mind, I was like, I I was I ugh, whatever. What uh, do you say? To, what did on. you say to him? Did you say anything? What is there to say? Like, okay, <laughs> well, like, but the thing is, I know that you've been to some therapy, and mm-hmm. I wonder if your therapist has talked to you about the ways that you can have a constructive conversation with your parents about the things that they do that bug you without getting overly emotional or blaming them or like, I think there is a way to talk about these things and to be like, that really hurt me when you did that without it being an attack on that person. No, no, I've never had had really had a discussion like that with with a therapist. I've definitely, um, you know, like like I said before, growing up, I, I sort of always internalized a lot of these issues as like I don't I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to I don't want to address issues. I just want to bury and repress and go and be by myself and was and the not thinking face these like things. I must be too sensitive. Like I'm being sensitive about this. I need to deal with it. 
No, the thinking was more that everyone else has got their problems and I don't want to add to them. I just you don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be a burden. I just want to if if you know, if everyone else is is dealing with their own shit and dealing with their own problems, if I just go to my room and cry or, you know, punch myself in the arm or whatever and or whatever for long enough, you know, it, it, I might still be miserable at the end, but at least I haven't spread that misery to other people. Uh-huh. And like, that's, that was the last thing I want to do is make, is to negatively impact anyone else. Okay. Well, that's really sad because that's not something (laughs) that you should have been worried about because you were the child in this situation. But I, I'm more talking about like, as an adult, are you able to set those boundaries with your parents, our parents? Like, are you able to say like, Hey, let's not bring up the Thailand thing anymore. Cause that's like, it's, it just, it makes me, it annoys me. Cause that is from a time that I couldn't read. And you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. do you think there's value in just squashing it so that it doesn't become a thing again? You know, it, it, it's funny, definitely growing up, you know, I, I had, I have issues with our parents and, and I've definitely had, you know, come to head moments with both of them where I've, not maybe not sometimes thoughtfully, I think, but sometimes less thoughtfully and more, you know, shotgun style approach, you know, sort of come to head with these issues with them. And I, I think I, I've worked through them with with whatever issues I had with our mom a lot over the time. And I, I used to carry, you know, a fair amount of anger and re- resentment toward her uh, that I, I haven't really felt in a, in a very long time. So, so that's because I've sort of I sort of had these moments where, I, you know, I said, said how I was feeling and she sort of, (laughs) she, she felt, yeah, here's the best way to put it. She felt bad about it. And, and Mm -hmm. the fact that I was going through these things and they could, they could have that effect on her and they could sort of hurt her knowing that they were happening really sort of helped me to, to move past all that. Alternatively, I've sort of had these moments with my dad where um, they sort of roll off his back and he doesn't really acknowledge or, or appreciate or, or is visual, visually or you know, emotionally impacted by it. So th- those issues sort of still persist uh, because of that. Okay. We don't have to talk about this anymore. Okay. I, I just, I'm just curious. You're the I'm, host. <laughs> I'm just curious because I, I'm curious how you deal with those things when they come up now, because I think like you, now you're an adult and you have more autonomy and you know how to use your voice more effectively. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I, I'm the only reason why I was asking is because I'm curious if you found that just squashing something like, like telling somebody how you feel is a more effective way to go than to internalize things. I, I think my approach right now with dad is whenever he touches on one of those third rails, uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm older now. So the stuff that, you know, really affected me when I was younger, maybe just doesn't really anymore. So that mm-hmm. helps too. It's just sort of, I've gotten over it or I've worked through it myself, but also, uh, you know, as an adult, I'm much more, my approach with dad on these issues is often just whenever he starts to do it, I just look at him and go, okay, stop. We're not doing this. We're not talking about this. This is done. Let's move on. And then I think he, he sees in my eyes that he better listen to me or else things can go in a bad Ooh, direction. Oh, you assert your dominance. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah. 
Um, well, if I you guess. want, I can I can send you some uh, emails that I've sent to uh, people as templates if you want to um, set boundaries. Ooh, Emily yeah. is the badass. I like that. I'm really mm. tough. Yeah, no, you are. You've always been really tough. Em. I remember I rem- <laughs> you were tough from the moment uh, you came home one day, but I remember us being little and being in the house together and me going crazy because you were so tough and so stubborn and so self-assured that there'd be times when I'd be like, Emily, the oven is on. Please stop playing by the oven. You're going to hurt yourself. But you would be so stubborn about like, no, you told me not to play here. So I am going to play here. And I'd be like, please, Emily, to do something that makes me want to do it more. Please, Emily, for the love of God, get away from the oven. I I haven't been burned by an oven yet. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're, you're, you're very capable. Yeah. But (laughs) what I mean is like, I'm really tough when it comes to this stuff. Like I have a very, I actually think you do too. I, mm-hmm. I have a very like strong sense of independence. Mm-hmm. So I don't, so I, I think like when things come up that like make me feel uncomfortable and I don't know, I don't think it was always like this. I think this, it's something that I developed, mm-hmm. but um, I think I don't have as much of a problem I guess, setting boundaries, if like we're using the therapy speak, because Mm -hmm. I'm such an independent person that like, it would offend my sensibilities to do anything else, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And uh, I'm really glad. And I just think it's really important. Like, I think when you like, even as you're an adult, you think, oh, okay, well, like, I'll just, I'll just grin and bear it. And then I only have to see my parents like X times a year. I mean, I see my parents quite often, but you before, don't live before, near I, us. before I saw dad last month. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen him for over two and a half years. I know. I actually, you and I haven't seen each other for over two years. Yeah. Um, but that's like, because of COVID and, because the world fell apart. Yeah. For because a while. the world fell apart. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I think like people put this off because they're like, Oh, I have these problems with my parents but it's fine. Like I'm an adult. We don't live in the same house anymore. I don't really have to say anything. I'll just grin and bear it when I do have to see them. But I just think that makes that negative feeling fester for longer. And then every time you see them, it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be nice. It's not going to feel how it should feel to be with your family. Yeah. Like I'm a big fan of squashing shit, you know, right then and there. Yeah, no, I I hear you. And I think you're absolutely right. Obviously. Um, I, I'm glad that you have that outlook and that perspective in it. And I think it's the healthy one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no problem. Well, if you ever need tips or advice or whatever, let me know. Cause I, you know, yeah, I'll go, I'll go to, to my s- little sister for life advice. Well, <laughs> I actually think that I know a lot more about this stuff than you do. No, you I do 100%. Actually, but because like I've definitely had to set boundaries with both our parents in the past few years. But it's funny, I have had, I had the opposite experience. And I wonder if it's because I was a girl. Because I think I've talked about this before. When you grow up and one parent is like kind of unreliable, And for me, that was our mom. Like I never had Mm -hmm. like the best relationship with our mom Mm -hmm. growing up. And I was always like really wary of her and just honestly kind of scared of her. Mm -hmm. I really idolized 
our dad and to me our dad could actually do no wrong like mm-hmm. he was like kind of a god to me for a long mm-hmm. time but it was only because i needed somebody to be the reliable person and i later on i realized there were so many other issues that i never really thought about or addressed or anything because i was putting him on this pedestal and thinking he could do no wrong, but it sounds like it was the opposite for you. I just find that interesting. No, no, it actually, it actually wasn't. Um, you're that's 100% how I felt, um, growing up. Um, you're right. That's why, you know, I had a lot of resentment and anger to our mom and, 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 you know, she had her, her issues and yeah, in a lot of ways she was unreliable or, or, you know, a a powder keg waiting to go off or or various issues. And yeah, in my mind, for much of the time growing up, dad was on a pedestal. He was, dad was the reliable one. Dad was, was the together one. Dad was the, you know, the rock sort of, and the, you know, the, the one who, who does the cool stuff, who has the cool stories, who, who always, you know, he's, he brings the life to a room when he's in it. Like he can make everyone, you know, smile and laugh and stuff. But getting older, that did start to to change, and I think that changed because I started having realizations about like, well, that's not really fair because mom was the one in the house with three kids um, mm-hmm. and taking care of them by herself a lot of the time um, for years and years and years, and having to deal with this shit uh, day by day. Whereas dad got to you know swing in one day a week, you know every other weekend do all the par- his parenting work in that burst and then go off and, and do other stuff where mom had to stay there. And that, you know, that's, that's not something you can really comprehend as a kid exactly or, or rationalize, but at getting older when, you know, step back and looking at it, like, yeah, mom is just a person who gets worn down by things and who has to deal with this shit and it takes a toll and it took a toll on her. And it wasn't fair how I idolized one and sort of almost demonized the other sometimes because of, yeah. because of them being human. Um, you're absolutely right. And I, and I definitely, I went through the same thing. So then what you're saying is like, at some point the bubble burst for you and you kind of like it, it switched your perspective and you, your yeah. attention was more focused on dad. That's exactly, that's yeah. exactly right. Like, like I said, I, then, you know, I, I, then I guess, I, yes, it's exactly the same as what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, the way I feel about them t- these days is sort of inverse of how, how it was growing up. Yeah. Oh, seriously. Um, okay. To circle back a little bit, I'd love to know what is your relationship with food right now? And like, how do you think about your body now? Like, do you have a healthy relationship, would you say, with food and body? No, I would not say I have a particularly healthy relationship with food and body. I think, you know, uh, since, you know, since sort of that, that first, uh, time I lost weight, you know, like, like I said, in high school, um, I've, you know, I go up and down every couple of years, uh, Mm -hmm. pretty, pretty on and off pretty, uh, pretty on a preset cycle. And it's not a a particularly healthy way of going about, uh, well, can I tell you, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I tell you that is so incredibly normal and incredibly like the process of that. It's the only time I've ever been called incredibly normal. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, you no, but really like most people who go on their first diet, the first diet works incredibly well. And it's just like weight falls off of you. I mean, it was the same for me in college, mm-hmm. like weight just 
fell off of me. It's like, I was doing stuff, but looking back, it's like, wow, I barely had to do anything. And then after that, it becomes harder and harder because you, your body is readjusting to, it's called food insecurity. Mm -hmm. So your body's not receiving on a constant basis what it used to be. So now it's going into panic mode. And now every time you go on a diet, it thinks you're in a famine. So Mm -hmm. every diet after the first diet is not going to be as effective. And it makes it that much easier to put weight back on. Yeah, no, that yeah, that you're absolutely right. And that's, that's definitely been my my experience. I think I think right now, you know, I'm, I'm on another trying to to lose weight sort of cycle right now I do for the past couple of I guess for the past decade whenever I've wanted to lose weight I, I do you know a low carb approach which yeah, uh, very popular it's, it's popular and you know I, I I don't know, you know, how much the science checks out. I don't, you know, I know things change every couple of years about what our, our thoughts on that, but oh, for try me, every other month. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but for me, what works well is like I said, I, I can be really stubborn and I, I work really well setting rules. So low carb works for me because it cuts out the vast majority of the things I like to eat. Uh, very a lot. Yeah, but and... that worries me. <laughs> that worries me. I okay. And on this podcast, also we talk about intuitive eating. I'm a huge mm-hmm. advocate for intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. This is one of those cases. Like I've said before, I'm not. You know, I, I think intuitive eating is right for most people, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to say that it's right for everybody. I mean, first of all, I, I'm not going to say that an 80 year old man who's on dialysis in the hospital should be an intuitive eater. <laughs> like I, it's definitely not right for everybody, but there are just not very many things that you like to eat. Right. So for you, like I've never recommended intuitive eating to you. I don't know if that would work for you. And when I say work, like, I don't know if that would establish like a healthy relationship with food for you. Cause there's just not many things that you like to eat. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, would be that... really hard. Like I, what I'm saying is I understand why it's really hard for you to, um, to not have rules. Cause mm-hmm. like at that point, there's only like 20 things that you like to eat. How can you not have any rules around those food? I understand that frame of thinking. Yeah, no, that that's sort of exactly right. I, I need to I need to have these rules because my uh, my repertoire is so limited already that it, you know if I just try to go with what my body wants and uh, it's never going to work out in a positive uh, weight direction, unfortunately. You know, I really try to, so I'm pretty strict during uh, most of the week. I usually end up having, and I know some people don't don't like this terminology, don't like this idea, but it works well for me, you know, a cheat meal once a week uh, where I can sort of, you know, have the stuff that I sort of limit and that sort of keeps me from going crazy or getting too big on cravings or whatever. Um, and it, it works for me. It's, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of what I'm doing right now. Okay. We can talk about it more when you come visit because I feel like, no, you know what I'll do? I'm going to do research. I'm going to do research on how a picky eater can become an intuitive eater. And -hmm. that's going to be my next project because there might be people listening who are really picky eaters and who are thinking like, okay, I can't be an intuitive eater because then I'm just going to be eating cookies and, and pizza all the time or whatever, whatever. Wait, it is. is there, is there a diet that involves just eating cookies and pizza all the time? It's called I wanna, I wanna intuitive research that eating, Matt. 
It's called intuitive eating. You can eat whatever you want all the time. But like, but I'm saying, you know, picky eaters, if you don't eat very many vegetables, if you don't like certain, is it that like that would be really hard. And I have the privilege of not being a picky eater. So that's not an issue for me. I just eat Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah. It's tough when, you know, I'll eat two vegetables, uh, broccoli and string beans and no others. Two worst (laughs) vegetables, by the way. I don't know why those are ones that you like. They're the the only good ones. The rest taste like bland. Exactly. They're bland and therefore I like them. Um, I just figured it out. Yeah, I I don't get it. But listen, I might never get it. And that's okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining Mm -hmm. me today. I know this kind of went over, but I feel like I could talk to you for another hour. It was fun to get a different perspective on certain things. Uh, It's always a pleasure talking to you, Emma. Oh, thank you, Maddie. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, guessing that you don't want people to follow you. My brother has a serious job. Yeah, I don't even, I, I work in communications, so I sort of professionally uh, do social and do uh, stuff like that, so I don't do it at all personally. God bless you. All right, well, thank you for coming on. Of course, uh, happy to be here. Thank you very much. I'm back. That was today's conversation with my brother, Matt. Honestly, one of my favorites that I've ever had. I feel like I talked to him about things that we've never really spoken about before. And I got a really clear picture of what his experience was like growing up in my house. And it's crazy how you can grow up with the same parents and pretty much have the same life experiences up to a certain point and still have such a different perspective and... um and different feelings surrounding that that matter. So let me know what you thought of this episode. And if you have any questions for my brother, feel free to send them to me. He's not active on social media. He's very elusive. I am by far the biggest thirst monster of my family. But maybe we'll have him back on if we get enough interest and enough questions. So let me know, guys. Have a fabulous week. I will see you guys on the next edition of RIP Diets. Peace out.